Hey, what's up? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Muse Room. My name's Katie, and I will be your host as we meander into the lives of inspiring and creative people. This is a hub for makers, thinkers, and anyone else that is doing the work that they truly want to be doing. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you've all been doing well. It's actually been a little bit crazy for me over here. Last week, I didn't put out an episode because I was honestly a little bit overwhelmed. Since starting my business of helping others start their podcasts, I've began to neglect my own podcast a little bit. Don't get me wrong, I'm so happy that I get to help others start their podcast, but I've just had trouble finding a balance. I've been trying to create a routine that works for me, but we're not quite there. And then this week, I came down with the flu, so I was thinking about putting off the podcast for another week, but I didn't let that happen. I was determined to get this episode out because it's so good. This week, I'm sharing a very long conversation I had with Janae Bryson, the founder of Auditing Company. It was such a long conversation, in fact, that I've decided to split this episode into two parts. In the first part, we dive deep into her adoption story. Janae is incredibly vulnerable and open about her story, so I'm really excited for you all to hear it. Tomorrow, I will release part two of the episode where she tells us a little bit more about some things that people aren't aware of about adoption, and then we transitioned into how she started her business. But for now, here's part one. Enjoy our conversation. like a completely separate business so right now this is what i'm playing with because i was having this conversation yesterday with my mom and i'm like do i just establish it as a dba under audit and co where it still kind of has all of the protections or do i just file another llc and create Mm -hmm. it on its own um i think i'm going to start with the dba Mm -hmm. and then kind of just transition it to an LLC depending on how well it does within the first like Mm -hmm. year or so um but either or I mean it's just protection wise but I basically branding branded it to be its own thing to be able to stand out Mm -hmm. on its own um which is completely different than how Audit and Co is way Mm -hmm. more personal and creatively stocked is really just about the mission Mm -hmm. of it and I don't know like I'm still working out a lot of the kids it's kind of coming the clarity aspect is coming mm-hmm. but i'm still like okay yeah like talking to my dad about licensing i'm like help me i'm like there's too much there's too much stuff on the mm-hmm. internet yeah i saw you posted some of the photos from it yeah so we did coffee we did the coffee actually here yeah <laughs> surprise surprise <laughs> we did the coffee shoot here and anita finished them and we're like moving on to the fitness mm-hmm. uh, aspect of it which is Anita actually had a really good idea of like hosting a yoga class. Oh, that's a good idea, yeah. And then just taking like the shots from there for 30 minutes and then kind of doing more of the post-fitness mm-hmm. aspect of it, which kind of adds to that community aspect, yeah. which is what I like with all of my businesses, mm-hmm. to have a sense of community. Oh, absolutely. So we're just we're, we're working our schedules about mm-hmm. as crazy as mine. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, we've been recording. <laughs> 
But thank you so much for being a guest on Muse Room. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So I love to get started by asking about what has been inspiring you. What is, was there anything that happened recently that just has really just sparked something in you or maybe just something that is always keeping you inspired to just move along on your journey? Ooh, let's see. Recently. I wouldn't say, okay, so we're in March. Mm-hmm. So December feels kind of recently, but at the same time, it's not. But I think what kind of really inspired me as 2018 ended and we started going into 2019 as I had caved and got a job as a brand consultant for a toy company. Mm. I know. You say home, it seems very interesting. And I was in um, independent contractor status, so I went in thinking something completely different was going to be the situation that we had. So I thought like, hey, I'm an independent contractor. They give me the task. I help them. I complete it. I leave, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'm on a consulting base here. That's kind of what's our agreement at the beginning. And it turned up not at all being like that. It turned up kind of sitting at a desk for like eight hours. Um, and that's not at all me. Right. And when I kept saying, I was like, oh, I don't really like this job. I don't really like this job. I'm going to quit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quit. And my boyfriend was like, well, no, don't quit. Don't quit. And I was like, it's really not what I want to do. I want to just focus on my business and kind of the passions that I have. And then we kind of like, I want to say a month and a half into it, we both me and my employer came to a decision that I was not a good fit. I mean, they kind of rubbed it off like, hey, you know, we have limited funds type of thing. And I rubbed it off like, oh, I'm so sad mm-hmm. while internally smiling because I'm like, yes, right. yes, yes. Um, so that, I think that really inspired me because I was like, there is no way I ever want to go back mm-hmm. to sitting at a desk working for somebody else, especially when they're not listening to my ideas and they're pushing me off. And I'm just like, why exactly did you hire me type of thing? And not being able to have control yeah. was what inspired me to really kind of go at it full force mm-hmm. in 2019. So, you know, I keep telling people I've not had a break since January 6th. Wow. It's been a never-ending week, which is good because mm-hmm. it's super positive and a lot of great projects have come out of that since January 6th. But I think that was something that truly inspired me was, hey, Janae, you're not meant for desk life, cubicle life, nine-to-five life. So make sure you go really hard for your passions and your visions. hmm in that sense and then of course I'm just such a huge art person I've always been a huge art person um so actually Lady Noelle Designs Mm. has been inspiring me so much lately like I've I'm obsessed with her Instagram Mm -hmm. I'm like trying to get as much information about her but she has like really inspired me because I've not painted like on canvas in a while and I'm like okay was that something you used to do yeah I used to paint on canvas all the time I mean bless my parents soul because they let me have an easel in my room with a little paint and carpet <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, awesome. and my mom basically created like a gallery outside of my room with all mm-hmm. of my artwork so I was a huge huge painter art person really I sculpted I painted I sketched um so creativity is just like something that's rooted in me and I have not 
painted in so long and she's kind of like inspired me to like get back at it I'm like okay Janae you know just yeah. as a little pastime your time your self-care go buy some supplies again yeah. and start it so I she's yeah because I just saw her before I got here and I oh, was cool. like yeah, she. I think there's some of her work out there in the main area and in the coffee in shop. In the coffee yeah. shop, yeah. Oh, I love her work. Um, so, yeah, so because with your business, a lot of it is creative, but it's your job. So it's nice to have, it would be nice to have something else. So that isn't related. You don't have to do it to make money. Like, it's just... Yeah, fun. it's like that whole dilemma, you know, when you read up until college, you love books, and then you have to read so many books in college that you're like, when's the last time I read a book for fun? Yeah. And that's basically the dilemma I fell into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so have you, did you get your supplies, or? So I ordered some on Amazon, mm-hmm. you know, so hopefully they'll be here about like Monday or Tuesday, because yeah, so I ordered, um some kind of smaller canvases to kind of get back into the mix new paint brushes because all of mine are oof not good anymore all the bristles are falling off and just like a pack of primary color oil paints um although i have like a lot of oil paints again i'm like they're kind of old (laughs) so how great are they to actually do what i need and hopefully i can just set it up in my office and then Every once in a while, just close the door and paint away. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be rough to start off with, but I'll get my groove back. Yeah. It's super interesting because I'm like, oh, everybody's like, oh, art, art. And I'm like, yeah, I haven't really, I've done everything digital. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the platform I chose and I haven't really done too much besides very small sketches and like the notebook that yeah. I occasionally carry around and has not been any big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you said that basically you haven't had a break since January, and so how are you going to kind of fit that into your life? How how do you balance working all the time, and how do you make time for yourself? It has been super hard. Um, before, I kind of was like, okay, so Sundays are untouched. Um, and my book, you know, you keep Sunday just to chill out, to be with family. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I found to be like an easy beacon. But then mm-hmm. I'm also like, okay, online, a few deadlines. Monday does pull around and people want updates. And I have like a recurring client meeting every single Monday at 9 a.m. So I'm like out the door. Um, wow. So I don't have like enough time to ease into my Monday. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to make Saturday my kind of like chill day mm. I get to work on um I have like in my calendar like it says your time do whatever you feel like doing even though I feel like it's weird that you have to put into the calendar but I'm just like have to yeah. remind myself I'm like don't respond to client right. calls you know tell my mom like hey I'm just doing this I'm clocking out for a little bit get off social media just go do something um for me so this Mm -hmm. Saturday it was really creatively stocked because I was like super passionate about kind of Mm -hmm. getting that website bones Mm -hmm. up um so that was like my Saturday thing before doing a family related thing so I think it's just kind of like setting the boundary and remembering Mm -hmm. that I am an introvert who needs to decompress so I need to make sure that time is set for me to decompress otherwise I will go right crazy and burn out yeah that's not something I want to do I think it's really good to actually put it something tangible into your calendar because otherwise you're just gonna find an excuse to start working again. 
That's very true. Yeah. That's very, very true. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what um, last year when I had basically did everything and I did the summer internship program and I went boom, 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 boom. And then Maria had her um, girl boss mm-hmm. brunch. I literally kept saying, okay, Janae, you just got to make it <laughs> to the brunch. You just have to make it to the brunch. I made it to the brunch and literally I feel like two months I was pretty much not at all interested in my business because I was so burned out because mm-hmm. I went continuously went from basically January to August nonstop with whatever issue popped up or you know launching an internship program and clients and it was kind of one of my harder years in business so when September and October kind of rolled around I was like completely drained mm-hmm. I didn't really even I don't even think I touched my business all like that I don't think I really did and that's kind of when I fell into the job that didn't inspire me that I yeah will never work a nine-to-five yeah so now so you got so burnt out that it caused you to get a nine-to-five and then that didn't work out so do you have just a way to prevent like digital burnout from happening like that or not digital just regular burnout from happening like that in the future is there boundaries yeah it's all about setting boundaries um what happened last year is that i was trying to make sure i made time for my family for my boyfriend for my business for the students any obligation that i had committed to and for my clients so it kind of just didn't leave enough room for me so now everybody kind of has an understanding family included that like hey today is just putting time aside for herself it doesn't mean that she doesn't love us or Mm -hmm. that she doesn't want to be here it just means right now that her mental health is more (laughs) important than what's currently going on and i think i just had to not feel guilty about saying my mental health is more important than making sure i'm there for all every single play that my siblings have or every barbecue that my mom hosts you know i'm like that's more important right well if you don't prioritize your mental health like that then you're when you do end up hanging out with your family or your boyfriend, like it's just not gonna be fun. Like, it's just not there. Yeah. Kind of mm-hmm. like spaced out somewhere else anyway. Tired, slightly cranky. I mean, and my family's pretty good with noticing. They'll be like, okay, so my mom be like, are you okay, Janae? And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, you just look like you have hit bottom with today and social interaction. Mm-hmm. And since I'm like the only introvert in my family, <laughs> Pretty much everybody knows, like, okay, so Janae has hit her social max. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's burnt out. Her battery is completely gone. So I'm like, okay, I'm going home now. And my mom's like, you're only here for an hour. And I was like, I just have to be like, I'm sorry, mom. I just can't. I'm going to go home and I'm going to take a nap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, okay. And I think kind of communicating it has helped people understand it. Yeah. And do you have those kind of similar boundaries for clients? Because if you're... Yeah, dealing with being an introvert, like I can't imagine running a business can also be really exhausting for that. It can, so I do. I set very strict communication boundaries with my clients, so I like to make sure I have my office hours from like this time to this time. I have my meeting day only on one day a week. I don't respond to client communication during the weekend. I mean, unless it's like super important or deadline sensitive i don't respond to client communication and i make that very clear before we start our process that mm-hmm. you know 
I am available if you schedule a call from this time to this time, want to meet them in person, this is my available day. I don't do weekends. Yeah. Don't do weekends. And I was having this conversation with somebody um, at the Women's Business Center when I hosted a workshop because he was asking about setting boundaries. And I'm like, well, the moment you respond to an email that somebody sent at 11 o'clock is the moment they'll keep sending them at 11 o'clock. So true. And -hmm. you open up. A can of worms that you cannot close now because you responded. I'm like, just ignore it. And yeah, wait. that's smart. That's really smart. Yeah. So I want to go back all the way to the beginning of your journey. So we'll we'll get back to Auden and Company. I love hearing about how your business runs and everything. Um, and I want to hear how it got started. But let's go back to your childhood. So let's. Um, can you tell us about? where you're from and what your childhood was like and yeah we'll just go from there yes I can um I break my childhood down into two aspects pre-adoption and post-adoption and most people think it's kind of weird that I do it that way but this is like adoption was a pivotal moment in my life so it's very important that I break it down that way so pre-adoption I'm from East Cleveland. I was born in East Cleveland to my biological mother, Anise, who was addicted to crack. Um, and we, I was at that time middle child, so I had two older siblings, and I was the third born. Um, and average, I don't like, it was average, but yet traumatic, but yet average when mm-hmm. you have something else to compare it to. So, My biological mom had her parental rights severed pretty early on, which means we became wards of the state, which means we, if we weren't in the care of our guardian, which is my biological grandmother, we were in a foster home. Um, So basically all of us, from older sister to younger sister, have experienced some type of foster home. So were you separated when when you became wards of the state? Yep, so we naturally the boys got separated and the girls got went together, so just separated by gender. Mm. Um, let's give like an age. So I'm, let's see, how old is my little sister? 18. So I'm like 11 years older than my youngest sister mm-hmm. within my biological sibling group. And she was, like, the only one who didn't necessarily, like, experience, experience a foster home because she, I mean, she was, like, yeah, super young when she was in a foster home. And before my grandmother took us in, like, full time. Um, so average childhood trauma, mm-hmm. people in and out, drugs. Um, sometimes we would stay with my biological mom. Majority of the time we would stay with my biological grandma. Fast forward to about 10 and a half to 11 my age we met my parents um, Mm -hmm. Susan and Brett now at this time we actually had no idea who they were we were kind of like hey you're cool and everything your baby's super cute and chubby it's like you're also white what are you doing in the hood yeah (laughs) that's where we live and we met with them and we met Brett who is the youngest of all of us and we did that like twice mm-hmm. so we met with them at my grandparents my grandmother's house and then we met with them at a mcdonald's 
Um, and the kicker is nobody told us we would put up for adoption. Wow. So, so that was, so once you met them, we still didn't know. Oh, so the first time we met them, we didn't really know. They kind of showed us like, Hey, here's a book of like your family. But remember we've been in and out of foster homes before. So we're like, okay, maybe it's another foster home. Like what's going on? Um, Fast forward to the third time we were supposed to meet my parents that came to pick us up and take us to meet Emma and Aiden, who are the twins, and my grandparents, who we referred to as Mimi and Pop Pop. And my biological mom, high on crack, took us for a two-hour joyride around East Cleveland and wouldn't hand us over to my parents for a visit. Wouldn't, you said? She wouldn't hand us over. She just kept driving and driving and driving. My older sister had to talk her into bringing us back. So still having no idea that we're being adopted. What's going through your head at this point? Honestly, I have a lot of resentment towards my biological mother Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. Um, But basically, I'm just like... What are you doing? Like, why do I have to be the adult here? Yeah, at 11, you said? At 11. Like, why do I have to be the responsible one? Why are we in the car with a strange guy? And, of course, why are you high yet again? Yeah. So, by the time we got back to my grandma's house from our joyride, my parents, or this is how my mom explains it, is that, you know, she had called the social worker at the time and just kind of told her the situation, like, hey, you know... Anise is not giving the kids over. She took them for a two-hour joyride around East Cleveland. What do we do? How do we proceed? How do we move forward? And the social worker gave her the advice of go home on Monday. We will have police officers pull them out of school and put them in another foster home. My parents said, well, no, that's not what we're going to do. These are our kids. We'll wait it out. And and then the social worker said, well, if you wait it out, then their placement happens early. So the placement happened two months early on a whim, traumatically, of course, because, you know, anything involving my biological mother has a tint of trauma sprinkled in there. So we moved into a small house in South Euclid because we weren't actually ready to move into the actual house we were meant to until two months after. Mm So we moved into a small house. That's when we met Emma and Aiden, the twins, and our grandparents, and then we kind of just never left. Wow. And that is the humbling beginning aspect of it. So, of course, my parents had to set us down and kind of tell us, like, guess what? We're your parents. And you were in their house at this point. You just you kind of thought they, it was just another foster home at that point? Had no, like, foster home or really didn't really know what to think about it because yeah, like you're just kind we... of floating what's happening yeah because we you know kind of were like okay we've met them a few times so maybe they might be adopting me or maybe or i'm like not even quite sure at yeah. the age of 11 if i even knew what the word adopted meant mm-hmm. um all i know is that from a very early age i kind of knew that i was not meant to be forever in my biological home mm-hmm. like there's no there's no way you can grow there. It's yeah. what I like to call the generational curse. Mm. Generations of neglect, generations of mm-hmm. drug abuse, generations of sweeping things under the rug again and again and again. Never-ending so cycle. It's a never-ending cycle. And um, so I knew 
from a very, very early age that I'm like, okay, this is not it. This is not where I'm supposed to be, you know. Mm-hmm. We, my grandparent, my grandmother, I keep saying grandparents because I have grandparents, but my grandmother, my mm-hmm. biological yeah. grandmother was a church goer. So, you know, we went to church every Sunday. Um, and of course, I'm praying to God at this time. Mm-hmm. I have a different relationship with God now. I'm praying to God at this time, like, come, God, help us. We deserve better. Help us, help us, like, almost every night on a repetitive cycle. So, so many people are like, hell, you kind of like meshed so quickly you know to Mm -hmm. a different situation i mean like naturally we are used to things being disrupted right so we just adapt all of my siblings adapt to whatever our situation is Mm -hmm. because it's a defense mechanism it's a survival tactic so we adapt to whatever situation we are put into but i knew i was like okay this is where we belong Mm -hmm. this is where we thrive in this home, no matter, I'm like, every home has some sort of dysfunction. I mean, it's a family, but this is a dysfunction I'll take Yeah, over drug abuse, neglect, regular abuse. Um, So I think in that sense, when we got to my parents' house, I was kind of like super reserved because naturally I'm a very reserved person. I was super protective of my younger siblings because like that's what you do you band together wasn't really I'm very stubborn naturally so you know stubbornly polite as we call it so of course my parents are being super nice to us and they um kind of explain on the car ride there what was kind of happening to an extent like hey you know we are adopting you this is what adoption means we're your forever family you're living with us da 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 Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a processor, so it takes me a few days to kind of go through yeah. something, and then, like, really, it clicks in my head. So, I'm going through it, and I'm kind of just like, okay, we're in this situation. I'm like, okay, so where are they going to sleep? Where are my siblings going to sleep? Where are we going to sleep? And, like, I'm alert to what is going on around me for them rather than for myself. Um, but it turned out pretty well. <laughs> Not to say it turned out great honestly um so it took two years for our adoption to be finalized because that's just the system i mean we had a closed adoption which means no contact with the Mm -hmm. biological family um actually my older brother who was 16 at the time he had an open adoption and he didn't make the transition fully to being adopted because he got to go back and forth back and forth. do you think that it affects like an open adoption doesn't does it not help you fully adjust as well? So there's um, a few different perspectives on it um, with naturally with adoption. So um, if you're adopted at birth, you know, it's cool to kind of have an open adoption so you can kind of see where you come from, mm-hmm. your, your heritage, your, right. your family. Me, on the other hand, I was adopted at 11. I'm very aware of what yeah. my family is. I'm also very aware of the fact that there's a reason we're not with them. Um, even to the extent of my biological grandma, I don't think she could ever really say, I did this for a reason. And the reason was, you guys are better off without the current situation mm-hmm. um, especially since she kind of had some enabling tactics for her daughter mm-hmm. where 
kept her daughter addicted to yeah. drugs. So, and I think she kind of made a subconscious decision that is what's best for us. I mean, but she can't verbally speak that, which then goes again to um, what I kind of call like very old. It's kind of like an old blackness to the point where, you know, you know subconsciously, but you are kind of told to leave it alone or don't speak on it once it happens. Uh, so she kind of has a little bit of that. And I don't think to this day she still is like not able to kind of speak like, hey, this was the right decision for you. So close adoption allowed us to kind of heal um, because I think we disconnected and we didn't necessarily feel like we had an alliance to a family um, you know, our first few years were like, I'm not even going to say a few years because it only took us a few months really, but we had a family therapist mm -hmm. and her whole thing was transitioning us to call my parents, mom and dad, Yeah, um, which came super easily, easy to call my dad, dad, because I don't know who my biological father yeah, is. Okay. Um, and to me, it kind of came as reserved as I am. It came a little easier to call my mom, mom. Um, so it kind of just gave, to me, it gave me an opportunity to really connect and kind of not feel a weird sense of loyalty to a family, out of just family yeah. obligation uh, for, not to speak on my siblings because I'm pretty, pretty much against like telling their story. I'm a huge advocate of it's not my story to tell, yeah. um, but I know my brother kind of has a harder time with female authority naturally my biological mother let mm -hmm. him down a lot my little sister kind of has an issue with female authority mm -hmm. again biological mom right. let her down kind of a people pleasing aspect of it and i think we just all dealt with it differently but with my older brother he got to go back and forth and he couldn't respect the rules that were in place for us who had a closed adoption so he didn't make the transition mm -hmm. fully to full adoption and even with my older sister who was offered if she asked, like, hey, do you want to be adopted as well? She was over 18 at that time. Um, two kids already, but my parents mm -hmm. are like, you can come live with us as well. Would you like to be adopted? And it's really interesting that most people think you can't adopt an adult. Yeah, I mean, you can. So she, your sister was 18, an adult already, so relationships with her biological mother were severed, right? And then... So we severed to an to a point so it's um super interesting when i tell this story because my biological mom has like had no parental rights over us whatsoever but yet she was prominently in our lives at a distance mm -hmm. through our entire childhood there but not quite there yeah high maybe not high so it's like she was there you know since we lived with my grandma sometimes of course she had a place to crash when she needed yeah. it so it's like she was there but not there mm -hmm. yeah so your older two siblings are not are not adopted okay so um and not to speak of my brother i do think my older brother kind of regrets not being able to mm -hmm. fully make the transition over um you know because there's just a certain path you take with your know your environment. So his environment was the same, and it was the same since he was little. So what tells him that he needs to revert mm. to something different or go to something different when that's all he's known? Um, and I think I don't necessarily know per se like what my older sister thinks. We do not get along mm -hmm. um, whatsoever, but 
I would hope that kind of she would kind of feel somewhat the same way is this this undying loyalty to my biological mom is kind of what kept her in a generational yeah. rotation how old was she when this all happened so my older sister was 18 oh yeah you said 18, 18 yeah, yeah. I mean I can imagine at that age it would be hard to kind of let go it wouldn't yeah mm -hmm. naturally um so and again that was it's kind of like interesting because I've she reached out to me when I was 19 she found me on Instagram it's like oh my god I'm so happy I found you what have you been up to now mm -hmm. naturally knowing that we had a close adoption I was already prepared for this. Like I said, we had a family therapist for 10 plus years. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'm prepared for this. So I tell my mom, I'm like, hey, you know, Jasmine reached out to me on Instagram. And my mom's like, oh, what do you think? You know, she kind of went a little therapist on me. <laughs> it's like, how are you feeling? So-and-so. And I'm like, oh, she goes, I'm not really feeling anyway at this moment of course because she'd asked me five minutes after and that's naturally my response is like i'm not quite sure what i'm feeling because i need to process it um and i came to the conclusion that i wanted closure because mm -hmm. let's remember that we kind of just left my grandparent my grandmother's house didn't really say goodbye to anybody wow. didn't take any of our belongings and kind of just started oh over my gosh. at a new mm -hmm house so I was like I have questions you know I want closure so I sat down with our family therapist and kind of like hashed it out asking the questions of why are you doing this what do you hope to get from it and set up a meeting with my sister and my grandmother um so of course my sister is very frustrated because she's like well you didn't hug me you didn't hug your nephew I'm like this kid is like five, which means I don't know this. I don't know him as cute as he is. I don't know him. Therefore, I don't hug him yeah. just out of manners. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that really kind of like put her off. She didn't like the questions that I were at, that I was asking to my grandmother. Um, so that kind of put her off. She didn't like that. I kind of stood up for myself about my boundaries and what I will not take. So that was kind of like off putish mm -hmm. to her, but I think it's, you know, you're allowed to decide what people you have in your life. Yeah. Whether or not they're blood or not, you can say, you know, you're not good for me <laughs> and kind of recognize that. And it was almost like a test for me, for her, because I was like, if you can't respect a simple boundary right now, probably down the road, you won't be able to respect any mm -hmm. of my boundaries. And um, there's kind of this idea or notion from her that I owed her something yeah and I'm like I don't owe you anything um and then there was also the notion of like oh these white people took you away and I'm like that's not how that works you know but it was forever like these that's what white she thought people yeah. took you away she knew mm -hmm. we were put up for adoption she knew yeah um but it was kind of I think to cope with the decision they created a narrative to make my parents the bad guy yeah um, in order to cope and that was kind of like the thing and of course I didn't I didn't take that I'm like there's I constantly felt like I had explained to my sister that it's not really us against them I'm like it's not really you against my parents I'm like 
we're all to, I'm like, we're all getting to an age where we could have contact with you in the first place. I'm like, the correct thing to do will be to talk to my parents. They will invite you over for dinner. They don't have any bad blood against you. And she just couldn't do it. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, if you can't do that for the other three siblings that are going to be 18 in a few years, then yeah. you don't deserve to be in their life, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. So I'm very um, strict with boundaries. My sister, who's 20 at this not so strict and my brother who's a year younger than me 24 not so strict with his boundaries but i'm a very boundary oriented person that's how you heal setting good boundaries and i'm like very particular about the people Mm -hmm. i allow in my life and that includes if they're blood or not right yeah because i feel like it's easy to just think oh they're blood so i should i have to give them a chance i have to let them in my life and i guess that's just a mindset that a lot of us have but so it's good that you've recognized that thank you mm-hmm. I give it all to my therapist yeah <laughs> yes okay so you were it took about two years to be officially adopted officially adopted mm-hmm. so that makes me 13 at this time um, and I don't even think I went over the ages of when or even the fact that yeah I'm the oldest of seven within my adopted family mm-hmm. so when I was adopted I was 11 my brother was 10 my sister was six and my other sister was four and that's our sibling group and then my parents had twins Emma and Aiden who were five and they had Brett who was one and a half yes mm-hmm. at that time so when fast forward those ages two years forward we walked into the courthouse um to finalize our adoption and my little brother Brett is so cute because he thought he was getting adopted <laughs> and we oh. break his little heart and tell him, you know you're you're not getting adopted but he's like yeah we're all getting adopted That's so cute. <laughs> as we walk into the courthouse so yeah it took us two years to finalize yeah. the adoption which is a natural um thing jumping through of course mm-hmm. hoops and all of that so I think that was kind of like, okay, yes, you know, yes, there's no way we can go back. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at that point you were mainly, do you think you were fully adjusted to the situation? Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't think it, my parents did such a good job with the transitioning aspect. Uh, my mom owned a nanny agency for 10 years and she closed it down to mm-hmm. obviously be a mom. Mm-hmm. So our first summer with all of us together, she kind of hosted like a Bryson camp, um, a Bryson bunch Mm -hmm. is what she called us. So she (laughs) made us do a lot of team activities, but she split us up into different teams, uh, made a very summer camp-ish, you know, so we, and we all moved to the same house together. So then it kind of felt like it was our house too. Oh, so they moved to a new house after. Yeah, so once, like two months later after we were kind of like emergency placed. We move to novelty out in the country, um, you know, surrounded by horses Mm -hmm. to a bigger house because now we're a family of nine. Mm -hmm. Um, So we moved out there and my parents did a really, really, really good job of just kind of adjusting us all together and doing activities where we kind of all had to deal with each other, cooking together and kind of setting a standard that we were a family, and then of course the therapist helped us with the whole aspect of kind of explaining how this all came to be, the adoption process, and how we wouldn't have contact with our biological family, um, and who, how do I put it, and kind of dealing with 
or starting a good foundation to deal with all of the trauma and neglect and abuse we went through. Yeah. And again, that only happens if you don't have any connection to your biological family because you don't feel a loyalty to protect them. Yeah. So you tell the truth. Um, so she really worked hard, the therapist, to kind of help us with that while my mom worked hard to be a mom, mm-hmm. which is not something any of us had. We never really had a mom. Um, and worked really hard to pay attention to birthdays because we didn't really necessarily celebrate birthdays yeah. all the time. So basically all of the things that you didn't really know you were missing as a kid because you're like, this is the norm. My parents did a really good job at overdoing it. Right. <laughs> and in a fantastic way. So birthday parties, family mm-hmm. dinners, uh, activities, school work and all of that jazz. School pickup, packing lunches. You know, my mom did a really good job at kind yeah. of transitioning us into that aspect. So then two years forward pretty much acclimated to the situation mm-hmm. you know i'm the oldest of seven um what would this put me eighth grade mm-hmm. seventh eighth grade um yeah acclimated to my basically all white school but <laughs> yeah what was that like for you to be in that kind of environment ah uh, it was i think it was more interesting my sixth grade year because you know fifth grade to sixth grade i went from a terrible east cleveland school mm-hmm. cleveland school districts are not notorious for being terrible to a a rated school district yeah. that tested their kids at a higher level so I think I had a harder time kind of adjusting because obviously I went from like being an A student to being a C student mm-hmm. because of the caliber of education that I had gained access to so I think that was kind of like my thing it's like okay well it was a, it was a little bit of an ego knock like, yeah hey knock you down a few pegs you're not that smart um so I had to kind of adjust to being able to ask for help with school Mm -hmm. and just saying like I don't understand this I can't just skirt by like I have before yeah Um, so that was kind of like that issue we had like two to three other black people in my class and of course since I now have white siblings it wasn't that hard for me to adjust to having white friends until a little bit later until we get to high school where I'm kind of like okay I'm not quite sure this is my crowd as Mm -hmm. much but I don't think necessarily that that shaped my identity too much I mean because I'm pretty anti I'll have conversations with people and they're like oh you're so well spoken or I was sitting in a bar with my mom and this old guy was sitting next to us and one he thought I was a foreign exchange student which was super funny um, my mom's like no that's my daughter he goes oh well when did you adopt her she's like so well spoken and my mom's like uh and I was like what and of course called him out on it but yeah I'm like naturally just well spoken do you deal with people making assumptions like that and just saying like comments like that often not as often anymore right. it used to be like like in high school maybe more a continuous kind of thing i was like oh well you're <laughs> you're the family that comes in the big green van thing which we called the green machine because mm-hmm. it was like a freaking church van but yeah. it fit 12 people right. so of course for us it was perfect or they're like oh my god your your little sister has the curly fro indicators based on physical appearance was like a common thing for people to do uh, you know or going out to grocery shop with my dad when i got older and people thinking me and my dad were in a relationship that's i can't imagine yeah yeah (laughs) my dad's like nope that's that's my daughter (laughs) it was like literally 
it was creepy. So it was kind of in that weird sense, mm-hmm. more like the visual thing that people yeah. kind of associated our entire family with. But not many people weren't bold enough to be like, oh, you're black. You know? Right. They weren't mm-hmm. bold enough for that. So now at 20, you're 25 now? Yeah. Do you still kind of deal with the trauma that you went through during that experience or what does it look like for you now? Um, so it's a good question. So there's like stages of what, like life stages or milestones or what I call them, the American milestones that you hit that you think that I'm like, okay, well, am I, am I prepared for this? So I'm like college, am I prepared for college? independence on my own am i prepared for independence dating am i prepared for dating you know i've not really ever seen a positive relationship besides just my parents Mm -hmm. um am i prepared for dating do i have am i equipped to kind of emotionally give myself in that sense so i think there were like stages where i kind of questioned certain things Mm -hmm. throughout life so there was sexual abuse um, and my biological family dynamic. So my parents were like super worried, especially since my defense mechanism was complete shutout. Like I can tell you certain things about my past, but I can't tell you like everything in great detail. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely like mm-hmm. no touch kind of type of thing. So, you know, my parents are really worried like, okay, Janae, not to get too personal, Katie, sorry. Um, but my mom was like, okay, when you start to have sex, what does that look like for you? Yeah. You know, you've, are you going to just cry when it happens? Like, what's going to yeah. be your experience? Because, you know, we have yet to kind of, like, unlock, if there is any trauma with you, we have yet to unlock that. So right. what does that look like for you? And what boundaries do you need to set in place in order to protect yourself in that sense? Um, and then communication aspects of it. It's like, okay, so, you know, Janae, like, hey, you're pretty quiet and closed off and you can't do that in relationships so what does communication look like to you so as an adult I went back to therapy and I was like okay so like let's get real I'm like not the best communicator honestly I don't trust people very easily I'm like so what do I need to do to make sure I have a healthy relationship and I think I kind of just took control of a few things Mm -hmm. and just said like this is in your hands it's not determined by your past um or your circumstances and that's like my motto you're not your circumstances so what can you do to make sure that you never repeat that cycle so it's just kind of being like honest with yourself and you, you don't have to be honest i definitely was honest with myself and not with like honest with about myself with other people internally i'd be like yeah janae that's probably not a good idea or yeah Janae you probably mm-hmm. should go see a therapist yes yeah. you probably shouldn't push yourself to here this is unsafe you know you already know that you have slight anxiety for situations like that but on the outside I'd be like I'm cool I'm fine what are you talking about totally cool and my mom's like mm-hmm, sure you are um so I think that's kind of helped a lot it's just kind of yeah self-awareness right yeah you said um that you're not your circumstances is that something that you have to remind yourself of still or not as much now um occasionally because i i keep telling people i always tell people i'm like my adoption was my second chance because there right. was no way there was no way i was going to be the only one who broke out the mode i'm like 
There's yeah. no way that I was going to be the only one who went to college out of my family or the only one that didn't have a teen baby. I'm like, just a certain, the environment I was in was... It Setting was you up to for all of those things to happen. Exactly. So my adoption is my second chance. So I just try not to get too emotional because I'm like... Mm-hmm. Whew. But yeah, so it was my second chance to kind yeah. of just be like, what can you do, Janae? Mm-hmm. You, you're not your circumstance. You basically, everything that you have ever daydreamed of mm-hmm. is possible right now because my parents are giving yeah. me experiences and setting me up for that. So occasionally I have to remind myself, okay, like, Janae, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do that. You have to remember that you're striving to break I like to call the generational curse, and mm-hmm. it's like my thing. Um, I was explaining to somebody like why I would adopt in the future, and I was like because my biological family is kind of plagued with this generation of drug abuse, sexual abuse, neglect. You know, if you start to think about it, three of my grandma grandmother's kids were addicted to crack. Mm-hmm. Three out of four. Wow, that's a huge. And I have to remind myself that that's like a wow. Um, to that point, so I'm forever like, okay, Jenna, you know, you need to think about this. And even when it comes to my siblings and kind of just seeing some of their behavior that might link to something going into their circumstance, yeah. you know, like I don't have an addictive personality, so I don't worry yeah. about certain things. But there are some people um, in my family do, right. who do have addictive mm-hmm. personalities, so, you know, I'm very aware of that. And I think it's just like, Occasionally, I just have to do a little check and like remember yeah. where you came from, mm-hmm. and remember that's not where you want to go. Right. Um, so I was explaining to somebody about the generational curse and mm-hmm. replacing it with generational happiness mm-hmm. because if I adopt, my parents adopted, I adopt. That means my parents changed my life. I'm changing a child's life. Then hopefully they'll adopt. They'll change yeah. a child's life, and then the cycle will. So do you you plan on adopting? Like do instead of having your own baby? Oh no, it's gonna be both. both. <laughs> okay, cool. Both, both. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So thank you so much for sharing all of that and being vulnerable. I really appreciate it. That was part one of my conversation with Janae. I'm so excited to share part two of the conversation. I hope you enjoyed part one, so stay tuned. Tomorrow I will be putting out part two where we talk more about her business. For now, I just wanted to share a review with you before I let you go. This review is from Darch Draw. It's a five-star review. And they say, this is a great podcast for anyone who wants to learn about Cleveland area entrepreneurs. It does a great job of inspiring anyone that wants to take a chance and start something that can grow in the community, especially creative young women that have fresh ideas. The interviewer is very good at asking relatable and relevant questions that allow listeners to learn and be inspired by the success of the guest. Five stars for The Muse Room and Katie. Thank you so much for leaving that review. If you have not left a review yet, it is one of the best ways to support the podcast. I read every single review, and it's just really great to hear that you guys are listening and to get some feedback. All right, well, that is all I have for you today. Like I said, I'll be back tomorrow. Until then, you can follow me on Instagram at Podcast. Follow Janae 
Um, I'll put all of the links to where you can find her in the show notes, but you will hear more from her tomorrow. All right, well, have a great rest of your Thursday, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening.